Ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's time for the Inside EMS Podcast. I am your host, Chris Sabalero. Every single episode I think that we do becomes an immediate classic. It's all about the stories. It's all about the entertainment. It's all about my partner, the Walt Whitman, the Charles Dickens of EMS, <laughs> our good friend, Kelly Grayson. KG, what's going on? Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm trying hard to live up to that, uh, that reputation. Um, just, just finishing books and, and, and trying to hawk them and, and in between working on an ambulance, saving lives and stamping out disease and pestilence, you know, the usual. So I talked to our good friend and the, uh, the, uh, big head honcho at EMS one, uh, Greg mm-hmm. Freese, our good friend and, uh, Greg read your book. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? How much? Well, what I, well, I want to know how much you paid him to do that because oh, I, mean, I, I paid him. I paid him good money. I I, I can't. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine he did it. For, you know, because he wanted to. I mean, I think he well, did it because. Well, I, I I wrote him a nice card and threw in a couple of Mars bars, and uh, he was he was willing to do it. All right, good man. What's well, he good said? Gotta... He said, and I quote: "Mars bars. Oh, that's great." <laughs> All right, Greg. I'll that was it. Kelly. That was Kelly. We know that wasn't. Uh, so, you know, Kelly, when we think about it, I, I just, I'm coming from the Pinnacle Conference. I actually yep. haven't, left, I haven't left Florida yet uh, to go home to St. Louis. And it was really interesting, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, we had the opportunity to visit with a lot of people that we don't, we didn't get to see for a few years, right? I mean, I ran into mm-hmm. Jim Judge, who's a big time EMS leader uh, out of Florida. I hadn't seen him in probably like five or six years. And this is really kind of the first time that we all got together. But there are challenges that are going on inside of EMS. And, and, you know, part of that is the great resignation that's going on, certainly of recruiting and retaining uh, EMS uh, uh, personnel or EMS field leaders. Um, certainly mobile integrated healthcare is another big topic. And you and I have had several shows on the, in the past, uh, you know, a couple months when we deal with community paramedicine and, you know, the transition and things that we're doing around the United States. And uh, we got a great guest that's coming to you today, coming out of uh, Reno, the biggest little city in America. He is the executive director of REMSA Health, Adam Hines. And Adam, I want to welcome you to the Inside EMS podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And wasn't Marco Island just beautiful? Were you there? I was there. I was there. You just, I, you, maybe, maybe, maybe not necessarily in as many sessions as I should, but I was definitely thinking about it on the beach. All right. Well, awesome. That's, that's <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but you, but you were there, and I think that you're a great Thanks. guest to have on to try to help unpack some of the challenges that we're having inside our career field. And you know, there were some really staggering sessions that EMS uh, may be in peril. And one of the things that uh, happened this week is there's an EMS agency that's closing its doors in Pennsylvania because of uh, cost overruns. And we need to really kind of reconsider how we're doing our business. So having you here as one of the top leaders inside our career field, I think is really going to uh, open some doors for us. But uh, let me ask you this. I mean, I'm going to start with uh, rather than you know, the content we were going to start on first, but you were there. What was your take about the Pinnacle Conference and and the peril that EMS may be in? 
Well, you know, I mean, I think obviously it's something in which we have conversations locally, but being able to see that some of the challenges that we may face in our jurisdiction are more global and maybe some strategies that individuals have either tried or are are anticipating to try to try and um, navigate some of it. Uh, I think is obviously valuable. In addition, you know, having more of a united voice, uh, EMS for many, 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 many years, uh, and and we're babies, uh, considering many different professions as EMS people, we haven't been around a long time. But collectively, I think we're gaining traction through our, uh, the appropriate association so that we can begin to have crucial conversations about the things that affect EMS, you know, the, the, the chip shortage that is preventing in, you know, agencies from getting uh, vehicles, uh, reimbursement continues to be a challenge. And so uh, I thought for, for many of the discussions, it obviously was a theme, but, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that if we continue to work together, that we may be able to make progress to, to help our industry. You know, that's one of the one of the uh, benefits of, of conferences like Pinnacle and, and the other major uh, EMS conferences is we we get to break down silos and and look at uh, at problems and solutions uh, from outside our agencies. We all tend to know our own our own bailiwick uh, very well, uh, but often tend to ignore solutions and problems from outside agencies. And I, I think that's, uh, that's one of the things I always get from, from EMS conferences is that, that networking and that, that uh, influx of new ideas. You know, I, I couldn't agree. I mean, Kelly, I think you hit the nail right on the head. And I think it's one of the things that we have to really kind of think about is what the experts are saying. You know, Adam, you, you talked about that we need to get together and figure out what the, uh, you know, the, the answers to the questions are. But one of the challenges in EMS is we don't get together and talk about the challenges that are going on inside EMS and really start to deal with some of these answers that we've got to be able to deal with. What's going to be the secret to that? Well, you know, I totally agree with that as well as, as, you know, I think every institution, every leader, administrator, fire chief, uh, EMS chief is really focusing on rowing the boat at their organization. It's necessary to ensure that you remain afloat in order to obviously be able to get out and share whatever you've learned. Uh, Getting back into the conference circuit is important um, and is a great way for people to discuss those common challenges. Uh, Pinnacle being one, the AAA being, uh, you know, coming up here shortly. But uh, I also think that mediums like this uh, are a great starter for um, conversation. And I'll share with you, you know, I am actually on the board of directors for the National Registry. And there recently was a resolution that was um, uh, passed that was is out for public comment that I think really has uh, provided a lot of insight into many people specifically, and I'm actually extremely heartened to see the passion from the people that are providing the care, those men and women that are on the front lines that are really passionate about ensuring that this profession progresses, uh, that we begin to be seen as a professional group of men and women that are providing high quality, compassionate, clinically excellent care. And I think social media is one of those venues, podcasts are another venue where people are expressing hey, this is what I'd like to see. And, and we're listening. 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw out a conversational grenade and, and contrarian view here and just let it go off uh, in the conversation between us. But, you know, uh, you, you spoke of the, the theme being all the at pinnacle of, of the obstacles that we're facing and everyone is facing these challenges in their agencies. And, and I'm wondering idly if, if this is not something that can, can spur a, a for lack of a better term, a right-sizing of EMS. Uh, I've held a contention for so long that we don't have so much of a staffing shortage, which we now do, but uh, we have a, a serious misallocation of resources, and we struggle to live up to unrealistic expectations that we have spent two generations painting ourselves into a corner with. Um, and we cannot be all things to all people, and we cannot be uh, the overarching safety net of the healthcare system. I, I just don't see that we can do that. Yet, yet so many of the, the, the thought leaders out there are, uh, it seems to me, are still struggling with answers to how to regain or maintain the status quo, then maybe it's time to blow up the enterprise and start over and, and reimagine EMS uh, uh, with something uh, a little more realistic expectations. What do you think, Adam? Well, interestingly, one of the things uh, that we are lucky enough to have at our organization is a great team of people and our director of public affairs, our chief executive staff is really working to provide awareness and, and we are insistent that the medical 911 call is changing. Uh, and that's extremely uncomfortable. It's gonna be, it's gonna take some time, but as you said, it's, a, it's necessary because we've set expectations, uh, some of which are not founded in any type of medical science, right? The idea that yeah. we run lights and sirens to go to potentially save somebody is, is almost non-existent or in, very infrequent. Uh, and so we see systems, progressive systems that are working collaboratively to change that. And REMSA Health is one of them. You know, I like to think of the four P's of things that we have to think about when uh, we're essentially reconstructing a system that people, we know they are the, we are the safety net at two o'clock in the morning when a new mother has a baby that's crying, uh, they may not know anything other than to call for help and, and we're there. But, you know, we have to, as industry leaders, as pioneers progressing our, our craft is to work with our patients, work with our politicians, work with the payers, and then also with the providers. And I, I want to talk about that here shortly about what the next generation of providers in our profession, uh, kind of their characteristics or profile, because it's different than what it was yesterday. Well, I think that's a great transition as we talk about that EMS systems need to change. You know, one of the things that I think, you know, just like with, we wanted everybody to call EMS, the ER wanted everybody to go to the ER. And then we realized that that wasn't the thing that needed to happen. You know, the people who were adamant about what EMS systems needed to look like, that we needed to have two paramedics on the truck, eight minutes and 59 seconds, as they're responding to RFPs or the same people now who are saying, well, maybe we don't need even need paramedics on the truck. Um, you know, it seems like a contra uh, contradiction in their initial beliefs. If they were running for office, it would be great debate stuff to say what your position was and where it is now. But we're learning that, right? And, uh, you know, the workforce is one of those areas that we may need to think about. And I know that you guys are doing some great stuff up there, uh, innovative stuff. And maybe you could share that a little bit with the audience. 
Well, you know, one of the things that we have been, since 1986, REMSA Health's been in our community and forever and ever and ever, we were an all ALS system and we were committed to that. And, and interestingly, at Pinnacle this year, there were some pretty big thought leaders, some industry known uh, executives that have been very tried and true to the fact that every call will receive a paramedic. Um, and I think as we went through COVID, as we are experiencing the great resignation, as we are resetting expectations for our public, like the 911 call is changing, it is a great opportunity for us to really better align the right resources with the right patient. And there's many systems, including ours, that are doing community paramedicine and nurse health line to try and properly navigate patients. It's not the fact that um, somebody is calling 911 and they don't need help. It's just that they may not need a paramedic. They may need an EMT. They may need just a ride. They may need uh, over the phone instructions. And so what is going to be necessary as we move forward is the, the recruitment and the ability to attract individuals that are interested in providing the care that is needed. And, you know, at Pinnacle, I gave us a talk. And one of the things that I said is, is we really need to, you know, we could go out and say, don't call 911 if you're, if you're not experiencing an emergency. The problem with that is, is many of our community members um, are, are not medically trained. So they are ill-equipped to be able to determine whether or not they have an emergency. And so really, maybe that is our job to use the appropriate tools and resources to safely navigate them, whether that be an algorithmic triage when they call, using Nurse Healthline, sending out single resources, using BLS or a tiered response system so that we preserve emergency resources for emergencies. But that's our expertise and they're looking to us to fix it. And so the next generation of paramedics and EMTs are really going to need to be rooted in the fact that not every call is going to be an emergency. Uh, 20 years in the profession, probably only five times have I actually saved somebody's life, made a difference in many, but saved their life only five times. Um, and we're, we need to be more thoughtful. And, and really, it's an expansion of scope of the idea that not all care has to be provided in the back of the ambulance, nor do you have to be transported to the emergency room. And that's where our focus needs to be. Adam, I'm over here uh, spraining my neck, nodding vigorously with everything you're saying. Because, uh, and Chris will roll his eyes at this, but we, I have said many, many times in this podcast that we we attract the wrong people, we recruit the wrong people for the wrong reasons of this profession. We spend an inordinate amount of time, effort, and money uh, recruiting adrenaline junkies for the life saving aspect. And then waste time trying to teach them to hold hands and be creative problem solvers when we should be recruiting handholders and teaching them how to think under pressure. So there's you a mention. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say there was a great article recently on toxic heroism yeah. on the fact that exact fact that we are recruiting those individuals for those moments in which are less frequent, um, but are attractive. They're sexy. They're the things mm -hmm. in which sells. That's exactly what the movies and TV um, says that we do. And I think that that is also, you know, there's a lot of things that we do. Shift work. We do yeah. see critical calls or people in on their worst day of their life. Um, but also part of that fatigue and burnout is uh, unrealistic, uh, unrealistic expectation of what we actually mm -hmm. do and, and exactly what you said we do. We provide compassion almost 100% of the time. We don't necessarily provide critical intervention nearly less than 5% of the time. 
Yeah, and that that is going to be, you, you know, it, it takes a different mindset uh, and approach to healthcare to be a uh, mobile integrated health or community paramedic versus a nine one one paramedic. But I don't see those, uh, you know, the way our profession is headed. Um, I think we're going to have to, it's going to mean a paradigm shift in, in what we view our, our essential skills in an EMS provider and, and what we train for. And it's, it's just that everyone, we have a, a tendency in this profession to focus on, on the hard skills because those are the easiest to quantify. You know, how well do you interpret a, an EKG rhythm and how, what is your IV and intubation success rate uh, and ignore the soft skills that are harder to quantify but much, uh, much more important. And um, I, I think that in, in the future, we're going, if, uh, if EMS goes the way it should and the way I think it's going, um, we're going to have to in, in recruit and train an entirely different cohort of people to be our workforce of the future. You, you think, the, would you agree with that? I completely agree with that. In addition, I think it's important for us to, to begin to provide the public uh, and again, reset the expectation as to exactly what we're doing with them. There's a lot of uncomfortability uh, with individuals in, in our community. You know, for a long time, we've transported patients to alternative destinations such as urgent cares, behavioral health facilities, detox facilities. In addition, we've navigated them to a nurse. And, you know, when they're experiencing what they perceive as a medical emergency, a lot of the times it's very difficult for us to provide them with the information that says, we understand you need care, you just don't necessarily need an ambulance. And so, you know, our organization uh, 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 and many across the United States are working to try and reset that. You know, if you speak to some of our colleagues in, in Canada or the United Kingdom, uh, it is not uncommon for them to answer calls and either say, we are not coming or uh, it may be four to six hours. And interestingly, when you begin to associate clinical outcomes with some of those individuals, we see no different, uh, no difference in, in the fact that if we sent an ambulance, lights and sirens, and they got there in four minutes, or they waited four hours for their finger that hurt, um, we, we see no difference in their clinical outcomes. People actually are more accepting when you provide them the information as to what to expect. And again, we really begin to align emergency assets and, and position them so that they're available for those true emergencies and redesign a system that is likely more sustainable, allows for you to place individuals in positions where they can shine, having those individuals that have those soft skills uh, at, 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 the, you know, at the front, and then having some of those individuals that really need that critical care, clinical medicine skills uh, available to do those things. Yeah, I mean, I think that was great. I mean, you, you put a little bow on that and really kind of tidied it up nice. And, you know, one of the things that Kelly said a, a bit ago that was really profound, and I wrote it down because the last time he had a profound thought was in the Obama administration. <laughs> but but one of the things that he said was, you know, EMS leaders, you know, they've got to sit down and they got to think about the EMS systems of the future. Well, uh, you know, REMSA has an incredible uh, community paramedic program. They've been one of the leaders for uh, many, many years, uh, setting the standards for others to follow with your community paramedicine work. Um, but you're the executive director up there, right? So when you think about this, sitting in front of a whiteboard with your, with your leadership staff and casting the vision and setting strategic goals against the vision and plans to reach the goals, if, if, if you think about the EMS system of the future, 
what do we got to think about and how do we move that forward to uh, change the focus of our career field? It has to do with the allocation of resources. And I will tell you, we are extremely, uh, extremely blessed to have team members that are our frontline paramedics, community health paramedics that are extremely passionate about providing care in that environment. I, I would suggest that they are probably uh, one of the best in the nation, uh, our, our team members. Uh, unfortunately, it, it has to come down to availability of resources, identifying payers. You know, every conference we go to, we talk about the efficacy and the interventions of community health. And at Remsa Health, we were very successful at being able to show that it saves the health system money, it improves clinical outcomes, patients are very satisfied with the care. Um, but when it comes down to money, which are the things in which drives what resources and, and, and levels of care we're able to provide, um, many times we are alone at the table. And so I think for our industry, we have to continue to push, because I, I could tell you, if, if at my house I had a cardiologist, a personal trainer, and a personal chef that could make me healthy meals, I'd be probably much more healthy, um, but that's extremely expensive, right? Uh, and so those are the conversations that occur uh, at our organization and many organizations similarly across the United States is, is this makes sense for patients but we also need individuals to be able to pay for it so that we can attract additional talent that are able that we're able to do that. And with resources, specifically with COVID, when there are thousands of hours of individuals that were on our team that um, were, they were sick or we had to backfill, we had to make decisions um, about, do you have a community health system that's working really great with a certain population, or do you take those individuals, those talented people, and also um, shift them or shunt them over to our 911 system to be ready for that next to 911 call. It's very difficult. It's it's less than ideal, um, but I think we're feeling some of that and we're having to prioritize exactly where we need to go in the future so that we can continue to innovate and, uh, it, you know, uh, shape the system that is best for your community. Because whatever's in our community, uh, it may be great for us, but it may not work for another. Yeah, Adam, um, you know, so many, so many great innovations seem to die on the vine because of lack of buy-in. People have great ideas but can't articulate that vision effectively. And I was, I was struck by Rimsa's, uh, Rimsa's articulation of, of their vision of, of changing the medical 911 response, the, the four Ps of changing the 911 medical response. Why don't you, uh, why don't you give our listeners uh, the 40,000-foot uh, view of the poor, four Ps of, uh, of changing medical 911 response? Well, each system has different stakeholders, but the ones in which we have that we've identified that are necessary for us to continue to innovate and change the way in which we provide care um, is, is it starts with our patients and providers. Uh, I think you said it earlier that there has to be buy-in, not only from our community members, but also from our providers. It, it's change is difficult. You know, there's a lot of people that sometimes, you know, if you want to make an enemy, change something. Uh, and so like change is a wet baby. That's right. And, and so it's, you know, forever and ever and ever, our role was to respond to a call and transport a patient. And, and then you begin to layer it with, well, we need to find out what payer source, uh, you know, you're, you're aligned with so that we can find different additional resources. We need to get your consent. We need to communicate with you. And, and that becomes uh, additional things in which for a team of men and women that are out there providing care on the street, 
sometimes uh, is 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 a difficult you know is, is difficult, and so um, you know having to uh, share the why. Why is this important for you? Why is this important for our organization? Why is this important for the community? Uh, that similarly is necessary for our patients. You know, our politicians or politically in, in a community, uh, many times where we have seen innovation fail is when a community is not well prepared and then they go to their politicians who are also not necessarily informed or understand the why. And, and it is immediately extinguished because it is is considered to be unsafe and it's it's not unsafe it's just something different um, and so ensuring that that we have them better understand exactly what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it um, is incredibly important for you to progress any type of innovation in a community and we're it, I will tell you uh, that it is a work in progress I think we've made a lot of strides uh, when we first, started um, navigating patients when somebody calls 911 and they have a low acuity uh, complaint, essentially uh, some alpha and all of our omega complaints are transferred over to a nurse. And our transfer rate uh, early on was less than 20% because people refused. And that has significantly increased um, to the point where the majority of calls in which uh, our uh, people are calling are transferred over to an available nurse and then they are triaged and they're removed out of the 911 system. Yeah, I got to tell you, I mean, that's that's just a great overview. And, you know, I was nodding my, nodding my head as, that, uh, as you were talking, but I, I think that we really have to be able to be creative in the ways that we're thinking about how we're going to do our work, who is going to be doing that work and how we're going to equip them. The true measurement of leadership success is how engaged, satisfied, and productive the workforce is. Everything else is just extra gravy. So I got to tell you, I mean, I can't believe that we're already at our uh, time for this show. And you got to promise us that you're going to come back and bring that wisdom and knowledge with you uh, so our listeners can get, uh, you know, a different perspective on what's happening inside their career field. But, you know, I'm just going to ask you, I mean, being a, a leader of, a, a, you know, of an EMS system, that is really setting the standards for others to follow. Maybe just give them a closing thought. I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening. There's a lot of inspiration that needs to go out to these, these men and women that are on the front lines that uh, sometimes they're forgotten. But uh, if you're going to give them a little bit of your insight, a little bit of your influence, a little bit of your wisdom, what do you leave them with? I think it starts with be okay that our identity and our purpose uh, in, in whatever community that you are serving uh, is changing and will continue to change. And we need to change as um, uh, individuals look to us to evolve the way in which we provide care. I think one silver lining of COVID was really highlight the positioning that EMS uh, and their, their availability, their responsibility, their, uh, their, their ability to work in austere environments really highlighted how nimble and versatile we are and, and opened many do doors for organizations. Um, keep at it. it. This is difficult. Uh, many times you're going to have the same conversation with the same people often, uh, but use data, use evidence-based uh, practice or evidence-based medicine to be able to kind of push things uh, in, in the direction that, that you want to go. I think once you get people there, many times, a lot of the fears, um, that journey kind of provides them with insight and you say, wow, we are better than we were before. Um, and then don't forget about the public. Having 
conversations, stakeholder groups, communicating with the public, making sure that they understand that the 911 call is changing. We have resources for people that may be listening at choosetherightcare.com that allows for you to see how we are working to interact and educate our public. And, and, and I think, you know, at the next conference, we'll talk about what worked and what didn't, and we'll uh, rinse and repeat. Uh, Adam, give us that website again that uh, where people can go for resources and ideas on, on what you've spoken about today. Choose the right I think you'll find it extremely interactive, informative, and I'm hopeful that you may get some ideas that may work for your community. Wise words, Adam. And uh, we appreciate you being here today. And, and you've heard what we think. Uh, we'd like to hear what you think, our listeners. What is your agency doing to prep itself for the future? How are you reimagining EMS? Or is your leadership just trying to struggle to maintain the status quo? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero, and our special guest this week, Adam Hines, Executive Director of REMSA Health. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. <laughs>